0: This is Sarah with an exciting announcement. We have just launched the Side Woo Collective, a new inclusive community of artists, metaphysical practitioners, and the Woo curious. The Side Woo Collective is for now an online community focused on art, the metaphysical, and general wellness. Essentially all the things you love about the podcast, but in real life. Our first offering is a three week online course with classes every Sunday, at 6 p.m. between February 12th and the 26th. Classes include Sigil Making with artisan Educator Rachel Dawson, Intuition 101 with Tarot Reader and Scottish Witch Amelia Whitehouse of The Carnelian Keep, and Drawing Your Shadow with Yours Truly. You can go to our new website, thesidewoo.com to sign up, get on our mailing list, or reach out with any questions. This will be a great way to engage with one another and get a better understanding of who this community is, I'm really excited to share it with you and hope to see you there. This is Sarah Thibault, host of the SideWoo podcast. This is a space to investigate what makes a creative life possible. From the mundane to the sublime, the physical to the metaphysical, welcome to the SideWoo. Hello and welcome to the SideWoo today i talk with nikki nolan uh, about energy and money nikki is the host of a podcast called a matter of life and debt and it's about the student loan crisis in america she started the podcast after paying off her own debt and now she wants to help others navigate the kafka s nightmare that is the student loan debt system in the u.s in addition to that she's also an artist an entrepreneur and a disability rights advocate and just a nice person. She's my friend. We recorded this episode in May, 2021. I was in Iceland and she was in San Francisco. The first few episodes, I'm just gonna be real. The sound is not great. And if you have any complaints, you can feel free to send me a check or money order to pay for sound equipment because I don't have any and I'm not gonna buy any right now. So thank you so much. Yeah, I hope you enjoy the podcast.
1: I didn't make my bed. It's fine. It doesn't matter.
0: (laughs) How are you? I'm pretty good. Yeah, I was just in the pool and then the clock stopped at exactly 5.03. So for an entire 50 minutes, it looked like it was still 5 o'clock and I didn't really register that the time wasn't moving forward. And all of a sudden I'm like, we've been in here for a long time. And then I asked a random Icelandic nurse that I had met the day before in the hot tub and she's like, oh, it is 5 57 or something. And I was like, okay, I better tell Nikki. (laughs) Yeah. So my idea before we get going is that it'll, I would love to talk about your kind of experience paying off your debt and then, and then kind of talk about money as energy and use this case study or this research, kind of the basis for the conversation and then kind of go through the questions and to me, I'm partly interested in being critical of the way that these questions are presented to us. We are not enough, and so we have to be better through these self-improvement measures that are always yeah. kind of made to sound like it's your fault if you're not doing well, whereas a lot of them are kind of systematically unfair, even mm-hmm. though I do believe in the law of attraction.
1: Yeah, I had that same reaction to it.
0: <laughs> oh, you did? Oh, awesome. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, maybe we could just start there and then, well, okay, I guess, um, like, I don't want it to be too formal, but I'm really curious. Okay, so Nikki Nolan is my guest today on the podcast and Nikki did something amazing. She paid off, how much was it?
1: Uh, I think when all was like done about $162,000, but I paid off $157,000 over the course of 29 months.
0: Yeah, and that was in student loan debt.
1: St- straight up student loan debt.
0: <laughs> St- straight up mainlining student loan <laughs> debt. <laughs> yeah.
1: That is a really good way to put it. It definitely felt like it was going straight into my soul.
0: Yeah. Well, and, okay. And so I'm curious, I you talk about how you got to the point where you just wanted to make that happen on your podcast, which is called mm-hmm. Matter of Life and Debt. And it's about the U.S. student loan crisis. So I won't make you repeat it. I think people should go listen to it. It's the first episode of your podcast. But I am curious about the emotional journey of paying it off. And so once you started, what was your life like? And how did it feel? And what? <laughs> how did you it was... do that?
1: It was, also, it was so wild because I, for so long, just ignored it. And I had friends who were like, you can't ignore it. You can't ignore it. And I'm like, watch me. <laughs> yeah. And. And that didn't work out so so well in terms of, not necessarily it didn't work out well because of any specific reasons, but mentally it didn't work out well. I just felt like just ignoring it just kept building up and up about inside my body, this sort of stress where I became very, very, what is the word? It's like... Oh, when you don't have enough. scare. I just started, my mind went from this place of, of abundance to a place of scarcity very, very quickly. So mm. before I had student debt, I remember having this relationship to money that was just, it's a thing. And not that it comes in abundance, but I just had a relationship to it that was not so messed up.
0: <laughs> I, yeah.
1: well, and, and after I got the student debt, it it made it so that, money was the only thing that I needed to get. It it turned Mm. into this thing where I, all I had to do was get money. And it it made money very toxic and made the process of getting money super toxic, especially Mm. inside my body. And even though I've paid it off, I still find myself operating from a place of scarcity of I don't Uh. have enough. Oh, so
0: when you started, can you talk a little bit about what that looks like? Because I kind of know what you mean in terms of what making money as a toxic thing would be. Because I know for me, I became really obsessed also and ended up taking all these jobs that I cynically just thought were money-making jobs that I kind of hated the idea of the people that were, even though I didn't hate the people that worked there, the banker or the accountant that I worked with, I hated the idea of that person in that job. And and I took those jobs almost as a self-loathing practice because I was so mad at my debt and I thought that was the only way I was going to be able to pay it off. And so I don't know if you could explain a little bit more what you mean by
1: that. Yeah, so I wanted to be an artist <laughs> like a lot of people, but then I ended up well I was told when I got out of undergrad, which was in 2008. I should have graduated in 07, but I did a victory lap and decided to land face first into the recession. Yeah. Uh with a degree in photography and sculpture with oh, a nice. minor in art history and technical design of theater, which everyone in 2008 was like, yeah, we have jobs for you. Um, it's already hard enough to get a job <laughs> when you first get out of college and then to have that sort of pedigree into a recession. So I write into grad school and it was really from this place of like, I was working at two art galleries. They told me I needed to get a master's degree in order to be an artist. Again, this is at a different time than than now, but because I decided to go to a private school that cost a lot of money, and I knew it was going to cost a lot of money, but I just—I had never had a real job before. It was sort of Drew, who was on my last episode, was talking about I was making a hundred bucks a week, and when someone's like, "You have to take out a hundred thousand dollars," you're like, "That's just fake money." I didn't you have, have a no concept
0: of what that's going to look over the long term or yeah. how that
1: impacts your life. So. I had planned on working at galleries and doing residencies and then the reality was so rough. So I got in and then all of a sudden I'm like, oh shit, I need to get, sorry, I didn't mean to curse, but oh crap, I I need to get a job that pays me money because all of a sudden I have six figures in debt. And so- It turned into, I don't know if it was self-loathing, but it was definitely your needs do not matter here. You need to pay this off. And I think I operated from that place of, so I got my first job. It was $37,000 a year. I like to say that because I had just spent six figures and then got a job that was not the manifestation in my mind of what I would get if I got it. master's degree also right. i wanted to be a professor but then halfway through i realized i can't afford to be a professor there's prof- my grandmother's a professor my great-grandfather was a professor mm-hmm. i have a long line of educators well, not to in my mention family. how
0: competitive being a professor is for that little yes. money and you almost need to be a successful artist or writer before you even get the professor job that you can afford to keep and yeah yeah
1: It was just pure delusion. Really, really what it was, was I didn't understand the system I was moving into. I was operating from a place of abundance and dreams. And I didn't have that, that realization of what the reality was going to look like. And the reality was a cold, cold ice bath. And so... I went from doing the $37,000 a year to legitimately just asking for $100,000 a year on the next job, and I got 85000 So oh, nice. it was just from asking, and, and I, I don't really like specifically talking about it, but I also like to tell women, just, just ask absolutely. for it. There was literally no difference between the two things, and I'm at a place now where I was able to pay off $157,000 in 29 months. Wait, but, can I just talk
0: to you really quick? Yes. So we-
1: so you were in the
0: interview for whatever job, bigjob.com
1: company or whatever. <laughs> exactly.
0: And jo- they were, at what point, basically, at what point were you throwing down your, because I know they kind of like, don't want you to say it up front, but then there's a point where HR checks in and is what's your range. And you're supposed to say a range, not a specific But Yeah. I said tell, a specific. Oh, you did. So how did that go? I was like, like what was the conversation? I was so
1: specific. <laughs> so... It was with a, a small organization, and so they didn't necessarily have HR. They had one person doing HR and payroll and all of the things and operations. So I didn't talk about how much I was expecting to make until I got to the second or third interview where they really wanted me. For the position and yeah. that's when I had talked to my therapist and my boyfriend at the time and my boyfriend at the time was like ask for 75,000 and my boyfriend or my therapist told me to ask for 100,000 and my boyfriend at the time asked for 75 and I just was like what's the harm and just asking for a lot and so totally. I did it and I mean it didn't I didn't get the 100,000 but like you probably I got heard- a lot more because
0: you asked for it yeah
1: you got to anchor high. That mm-hmm. is what I have learned. It's all bullshit. It really is. A lot of salary, at least at some of these small companies, seems like it's arbitrary. And so you have to, for me, what I've learned is you have to anchor high and then expect that they'll negotiate Drop down. Drop you down. To like,
0: well, yeah. in that they can't legally, at least in California, ask you or they can't check what you made. So you can just say what you made, which they always, all the HR or the headhunters I've talked to are like, go up Mm -hmm. from what you actually made, because they're going to try to keep you at that same level or a tiny bit above. But in the last three jobs that I had, I made like 20 to 30% more each time I moved jobs. (laughs) And each time I moved jobs was only two to three years in between. Granted, you take on a lot more work usually with those
1: jobs. Yes. Yeah, So so that th- so that if you look at my, I've almost every year, year to two years, and that was oh, wow. just because companies will, I have found that companies, once you get in, it's a struggle to get them to give you a raise or promotion. Luckily at the company I work at, they're very generous and I am so grateful for this company and I cont- want to continue to work for them. I really, really appreciate it. However, I s- have these dreams of starting an artist residency, which we've talked about, which I feel like I'm just out of alignment because I've been so goal-oriented to making more and more money in order to pay off the debt. And it wasn't for my the thing we just read. It wasn't about my personal beliefs. It was more of like, I was trying to get rid of this debt. I was trying to get that weight off of me. And I was like, once the weight is off, then I'll feel better. And then the weight came off and I'm like, I still feel crappy. Oh, debt really messes you up <laughs> yeah. so i'm trying to process that now yeah
0: yeah that's so interesting so okay while you were doing it so you basically got a better paying job which is like the secret sauce that the manifestation people maybe don't talk about they're like oh envision whatever but it's like ultimately you can't well and also the blogs that are like make your own deodorant and make your own laundry detergent and don't go out make all your food but it's like, if you don't have enough money coming in, you're never going to be able to do the things you need. So I just think that is ultimately is asking for what you're worth or doing something where you're actually being valued.
1: It's just, yeah.
0: But so then once you had that job, what was your kind of day-to-day like in terms of saving and scrimping and yeah.
1: Yeah, so I've always, I've been operating from this place of scarcity for for a long time. since since probably so since two thousand nine, two thousand ten. I've been operating from a place of scarcity, and before that, I clearly remember how much easier it was for me to think, <laughs> and be creative mm. before two thousand nine. Wow. So I've been operating from this place of I can't spend money. I can't live opulently. I I have never paid more than nine hundred and fifty per rent. And I lived in New York City and San Francisco, and now I live in Berkeley. And so I think that it's made me really, really strange with my money. I don't spend money on myself. I've always spent money on others. I spend a lot of money on donating to causes. And I don't even have to have a personal relationship to the cause. But I have this thing where if something asks for money and it seems compelling, I'll just give to it. And I talk to someone who's a philanthropic donor. And she's like, people don't usually do that. Usually they choose a cause and then they donate to that. But I just want to diversify and give back, especially so I don't spend the money on myself. Or on where I live or any of these things. But I do spend a lot of money giving back to organizations that matter. And I, there's this list of the most efficient dollar-for-dollar dollar organizations, ones around mosquito netting. And I can't remember the name of it, but you help the most amount of people for the least amount of funds. And so I, like, I forgot what the question was. I just realized I got into a circle where no, I was like... No, it's
0: okay. Yeah. Um, no, totally. <laughs> well, I think... That you kind of answered it. It's like you don't really spend money on yourself. And was Mm -hmm. that, yeah, I'm just thinking of a way to represent that time in a way that maybe people could replicate if they were so inclined. But maybe there are things that you learned about that time that you wish you could have done differently.
1: I don't, I don't. I think that not moving has been really, really helpful. Even though I'm like not necessarily happy with the amount of space that I have physical space that I have my place is 390 square feet and I just recently went to Denver and was at my mom's house and her upstairs is 1500 square feet and I was just look at all this space oh my god and I realized that my mind was is very contracted by the limited amount of space so I'm going to find external studio and stuff like that to expand that but I don't know if anything is necessarily replicatable. And the thing that I do want to call out, which you sort of touched on, is that there is also larger system things that are coming into play, which is that school, like a lot of education with having to take out the loans, it, it unfairly limits people who don't have the funds to pay for school and so it becomes this upward mobility tax on folks sort of white men pay off their debt significantly faster than black women Mm -hmm. and those are system level things of of oppression that make those things sort of happen and so uh for me i had a mother who was able to take and give me some money for my student debt uh so that i could lower when i privatized my student loans so i right So, so my student loans were between six and 8% interest rate. And when Mm -hmm. I decided to aggressively pay off my student loans, I decided to, yeah, stop eating out. I got this apartment that was really, really affordable. I started, uh, I'm trying to think. I I started, I privatized the loans. So I took the loans and privatized them at 2.55% through First Republic Bank. That's huge. It was huge, but my mom gave me a 0% loan at $20,000 oh, wow. that I paid also her huge. back. Yeah. So, so, so I do think that I was set up specific. Parental think-
0: wealth is a huge benefit that maybe isn't talked about either, and but it helps people who would otherwise be spending years of their life throwing money into compounding interest or, yeah
1: exactly my mom paid for my undergrad straight up my mom paid for my entire undergrad and so I didn't have any debt so I went from a place of not having any student debt to a place of having an exorbitant amount of student debt and so I just wasn't set up for what what real life was like I feel like my parents did a real disservice not setting me up for the reality of life I feel like they were constantly trying to protect me from the reality but then it turned into a cold ice bath you know
0: yeah, I think a lot of people in our general age range hit that same ice bath around the same time because I was kind of in a similar place where I had kind of undergrad and at a state school and we had some money from my grandparents so I went to that but then I went back for a second degree for 2 years to get my art degree which at the time kind of seemed necessary but because finances around my school was such a distant concern, partly because they were covering it and I was very fortunate, but I didn't really process that it was even costing anything. It was kind of like, it's just something Mm -hmm. I do and I go to it and I work really hard at getting good grades, but, and I have a job and that pays for my rent and my extras, but it wasn't like, oh, I have to also pay for my classes, which is a great privilege. But then when you start getting into the private school stuff, it takes a different kind of person to be able to just cover that without a loan. And so I think yeah. most of our generation took out loans and are now floundering around. Oh, we didn't know what this would mean, you know? I, I mean, I knew I would have to work hard and I wasn't afraid of that. I'm like, I, it'll make me work hard and I'll pay it off. But what I didn't realize is every month, the, especially in the beginning when I was paying $600 a month, that money is going to someone else's vacation funds, instead. or yacht,
1: yeah, or golf. Co- to some some man at Sally May bought an entire golf course with right. our student debt. Like, totally, like- <laughs> but
0: you know what? I, more what I was thinking is my coworkers mm. who I would see mm. who didn't mm-hmm. have student loans, and they would go on these vacations, and oh, all of a sudden in their twenties, they're putting down payments on their homes or something, and I was like oh, am I that bad at life that I like, can't make this happen? Then I realized what $600 a month actually would afford me. And yeah. then I was like, oh, I get why loans are bad now. It was, but it wasn't until I saw my peers who didn't have them and all the fun things that they were doing while working just as hard or not as hard because a lot of people aren't, are also artists. Being an artist yeah. is a second full-time job. So yeah, that's when it really all clicked together. It's like, oh, I am not going to get to have fun for a while.
1: <laughs> it's it's cold. It's such a cold ice bath, right? Yeah. Oh, reality was was harsh, and I understand that reality is harsh in many different ways to many different people. I'm not.
0: This is the most privileged, just
1: sort of say saying...
0: version of the the upset that comes with student loan debt.
1: Yeah, yeah, and what's ridiculous about student loan debt is it wasn't always like this. And so I think that a lot of people take on this idea of you took the money out. It's your personal responsibility to yeah. pay it back. And you hear this a lot in the comments. Why should I pay for your student debt? But actually, if they cancel it, it they've already made enough money in the interest to actually right. cover what it is. So no one will actually pay for it. What what actually is going to happen is that they've already allocated some of that interest to mm. other places, that's really where you'll see some impact. But we've had student loans paused for over a year and the government hasn't fallen apart. And they just released recently that they have saved $90 billion, $90 billion not servicing student loans in this like year. Oh my God. Wow. Yes. Yeah. So that's, I'm just like, it literally makes no sense. Damning it only, evidence. It, it, It only seems like a machine to cause, to hold people down, is how I envision it. It really seems like, and you and I are in a slightly different situation because we both went to private schools, but public schools used to be free. Yeah, um, And it didn't really, this whole tornado of the student debt crisis uh, really started taking hold in 97. That's Mm. when you start seeing the...
0: Oh, interesting! <laughs> the, the explosion,
1: yeah. So, in the last year, or not last year, in the last ten years, uh, student loan debt has grown either hundred or hundred and one percent in size. Wow! So, it's all very wild, and it's really hard because there's aspects of personal responsibility, but then there are also aspects of systemic changes or systematic changes. And I can never remember which one is systematic or systemic. And we're just gonna leave it there. But Yeah.
0: No, it's okay. <laughs> I'm not one of those people who's gonna correct you on that. <laughs> Wish I were. But yes.
1: But it's like it it's it's well, a funny one thing between about between
0: that too is the judgmental language around forgiveness. They mm-hmm. that your mistakes are something to be forgiven. And back to kind of talking about our parents, they did not grow up with this idea of compounding student loan debt to the extent that we have. And so there's no way they could have possibly imagined what we are now going through, like me with just real talk, a quarter of a million dollars in debt, basically they could never have imagined a future where that was something that I would have to deal with. And I just think we're ill-equipped themselves to even consider that. But back to the language, I, I kind of wanted to have us take this quiz because oh, yeah? i think part of what we're talking about is kind of the way that money is a form of energy and i think yeah a student loan system is a way to block energy flow for people who are already systematically oppressed and yeah. but there are ways that we all can be more connected to our energy but then there's this kind of ungrounded school of thought around money and energy and the idea that if you're just positive enough or if you're at one with your spiritual self enough you without any further action you're able to call in wealth and (laughs) yeah I get I get the idea and I don't think anyone would ever advise that but I feel like when you hear some people talk about money that it's like all you have to do is just envision receiving the money and then you are done (laughs)
1: Just give it to me. Just put your hands up. (laughs) Exactly. Literally the
0: photo on this article that I pulled up is a woman and cash is raining down on her. (laughs) Yeah. And she's got a black tank top that I had in 2002 and was really cute when I would go to the clubs and anyway <laughs> I thought it'd be interesting to go through this especially as someone who's totally embodying abundance you give away a lot of your time in addition to working really hard at your job you know I'm looking at your zoom right now and your entire back wall is covered in art that you have traded work yeah. you what tell me you do websites or something for yeah, yeah for so art. I build
1: websites for artists and I do so completely free um, I just ask that they provide me something that they find as equivalent to the amount of effort or work that I've put into it. So uh, this is only one wall. I have all my walls are super covered with yeah. work, and I have three or four outstanding pieces that are coming to me, and I'm like, where am I going to put them? <laughs> but yes. yeah, so I, you need a bigger house. I, like, I do. I just I need just a little bit more space or something. But I really love helping artists a lot I felt like I didn't get a whole lot of help I, I, I had parents that were uninformed about the art world and not connected in any way they and so I felt Which like is, I didn't have a leg up
0: to be fair is such a weird world and so mm-hmm. niche and there's a lot of different facets of it so the people who do know about it are going to be a different kind of parent you know like yeah
1: yeah yeah Look at Lena Dunham's parents. It's a trade-off. You can get Carol
0: Dunham, or you can get a nice mom
1: and dad who. Oh, we're not going to say my parents are nice. Okay, I don't know your parents, (laughs) but my parents are very interesting. But we're not going to get into that. We're going to get into. We're going to
0: cut that right out, (laughs) so they don't.
1: (laughs) It's fine. They won't even listen. I don't don't even know. But you can you can cut it. They so yeah. So I love bartering. I'm a big fan of bartering, especially since I don't necessarily need the extra income but I love helping artists I love helping them make professional portfolios that are like aligned with who they are help them manifest that and so I get a piece of art but then they get something that they can use to leverage and and promote themselves if they so choose to so I feel like I've made over 40 websites it's yeah it's real and I started making websites it this actually is really a semi-interesting. So in undergrad, I used to mat and frame people's artwork for money because oh. I saw a need there. I saw a need that people didn't want to do it. So I would mat and frame and that's how I would get drinking money or calzone money, whatever. And then when I got out of undergrad and we were in this recession, I'm like, what do I want that I don't think I could pay someone to do? And so that's when I started taking web development classes. And... I learned how to make websites, and then that was about 2009. So I started making websites in 2008, 2009, and I've just been making them ever since. And really my niche is nonprofits and and artists. So so cool. I
0: love that. Yeah, you did a great job with mine, so thank you.
1: <laughs> You're welcome. I hope there you like it. I...
0: <laughs> go, go there. Yeah. Okay, well, so here, I'm going to send you the link to... The let's do this quiz thing. yeah because i just thought it'd be funny if we went through it together
1: and then yeah i love it yeah i am totally game
0: um, so question one okay so the premise of this article it's called the energy of money and it's on the huffington post by lisa peterson a money coach and business strategist and she basically talks about Bruce Lipton's book, Biology of Belief, Unleashing the Power of Consciousness, where he talks about how 5% of the time we use our conscious mind to make decisions and the other 95% of the time we are acting total animalistic, reactionary beings who are either unconscious or we're acting on unconscious beliefs. And so Explains I think microaggressions. Int- sorry. Exactly. I know. I really think it does. If we are only using our conscious mind about 5% of the time, that could explain why we often do things with money that do not make sense. Buying things we do not need, cannot afford, or don't actually want. Oh, that's the worst where you like are in a store and you feel bad. So you buy the thing.
1: Yeah. I, 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 I mean, when the beginning of the pandemic happened, I realized I was buying a lot of things on the internet because I was so anxious. I was making my house look nicer. So I was operating from this place of nesting and needing to feel comfortable. And I, ca- I have boxes coming in every day for six months because of the anxiety and stress yeah. of the pandemic.
0: <laughs> I think that's was the one thing people were spending money on.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Okay, so the first question. So as consciousness increases and money, sorry, around money, we inevitably... Begin to question our moral and psychological perceptions and expectations. And so you should ask yourself questions like this. Do I do things with money that in retrospect do not seem to make much sense? If so, why does this happen? Is For that me. something that you do?
1: It, it Yeah. So no, I, I do. I don't necessarily have logic to my money spending, but I have no. Ne- This is a privilege. I have never gone negative in my bank account ever. I like have this weird thing where I don't spend more than I have. And I don't spend more than I have by a significant buffer because Mm. I've set some arbitrary in my head and I refuse to go below it. So if I don't have that amount, I straight up stop spending money. And how do you do that? (laughs) What if you don't have
0: food or if you're like, do you just not eat? Are you that kind of person? You don't put it on your credit card?
1: I, so, uh, when I was making $37,000 a year, I, my like goal, my little buffer was like $150 was how much I needed to keep in my bank account. And, uh, for about two weeks before I got my next paycheck, I just ate a jar of peanut butter very slowly.
0: (laughs) Wow. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. So I have always had credit card debt and I actually go through this thing where the more I don't have money in my bank account. Or this isn't what I do anymore because I've kind of fixed that a little bit. But for a while, it would be the more I don't have in the bank account and the closer I get to zero or whatever, I start using my credit card. And then Mm -hmm. once you start, you start thinking about the points. And then I'm like, well, I'm actually making money if I spend it. (laughs) I don't know. And then I start thinking about how much debt I have with student loans. And then I'm like, well, $20 here, $25 there. It's not going to make a difference. So then, yeah. Yeah. That is in the darkest of my days, and I would say that's probably where there's some subconscious programming going on. But Mm -hmm. I really appreciate your discipline in eating your jar of peanut butter.
1: I don't know where it comes from. I think, I mean, I am like... like That's very minimalist, Buddhist... Yeah, slash. I'm 40% German and 50% Jewish, and I feel like there's some form of discipline that's just like in my genetic... That's life. really funny.
0: Okay. <laughs> this two are my core values in alignment with my work and how I earn money?
1: No. Oh, <laughs> shit. Shaking yeah, your I know head this now. Is, this is the one that I was talking about because I have pre-read this just because I like to read things before I do them, but yeah. I... <sighs> It's not out of alignment, but it's not like in a, in my perfect dream, magical world, vision board stuff. I would be making money living off the land, being completely sustainable, and I wouldn't necessarily need money. It would be more along the lines of bartering and trading. And I do want to make this artist residency that's really in tune with the land and that will have a farm on it and mm-hmm. will be completely sustainable off the grid. Not giving more resources than it's taking from the earth. And so mm. I've had this vision since I was a small child. I've, I, I wanted to be a green design architect as a small child, but because of my learning disabilities, I was unable to actually become an architect. And actually this is really random, but yesterday, so I'm trying to get a promotion at work right now. And yesterday I was filling out, they make us do this sort of. So
0: how do you do that?
1: Wait, How do I do what?
0: I think, how do you just decide to get a promotion at work?
1: Oh, you have to tell people you want a fucking promotion. You can't just get a promotion. You have to constantly tell your boss, I expect a promotion. I expect a promotion. And so at my company, you have to go through. This is my first time going through the rounds, and I don't really know. So I've gotten to level one where I have to fill out all this of what I have done and why I deserve a promotion. However, yesterday, I sort of had a meltdown on the phone with my mother, <laughs> where I was just like, this system doesn't Work for me and I lost my mind and it had something to do with me as a child wanting to be an architect and I couldn't be an architect because I can't take the test because of my learning disabilities. And then all of a sudden trying to fit myself into this performance review to get a promotion, I was like, this system doesn't work for me. Oh my god. And so I sort of had a meltdown last night, which was not fun. It was not a pleasant experience, but I there are so many systems in place that you don't realize that really inhibit your growth and inhibit any kind of movement. And I feel like that what I've been doing with this promotion thing is just really inhibiting how I show up in the world and how I can work. It's, it's like, it's like this bureaucratic thing that is in alignment with why I couldn't be a green design architect? Because oh, wow. I couldn't take the testing. And so, mm. so I feel like a lot. So right like the now, gatekeeping
0: just, you know. for you to get a promotion is one of the, one level is even being organized or having the time or taking the time to actually fill out the bureaucratic hoops. The, yeah. The paperwork. Wow.
1: And it's, it's really, so is it in alignment with my core values? No, I want to be helping people. I don't want to be wasting my energy trying yeah. to inflate myself so that I could move up and get a different title. I think I deserve a different title. I think that I'm actually, I want to be a director or a VP or something like that. But I also have this side where I also want to start my artist residency, and so I, I have the my core val I'm having troubles with alignment and core values I right see. now. A I lot mean, of alignment.
0: <laughs> yeah. I would say the tool, th- or the company that you work for makes a tool, mm-hmm. and a digital tool. I I will leave it at that. But I feel like I have worked jobs where the the kind of role I was in was indirect. The company that I was serving was in direct Mm -hmm. opposition to my core values. I worked for an auditing team at a gas company or an infrastructure Mm. company that I knew was headed by really kind of conservative people who didn't Mm -hmm. care about the earth. And so I feel like that was a time when I was in direct opposition and my job was literally to sit in a cubicle for eight hours because my company was trying to bill hours to this other Mm. company. And they had to justify mm-hmm. the hours by me actually being in the office, even though I was just yeah. kind of locked away in their soundproof cubicle. I was in an island of cubicles with like four desks. And I was the only one in that four desks. And then the, yeah. there weren't anyone for I like cubicle islands for like mm-hmm. three cubicles. <laughs> and then I would have to get out and walk around and go down the hall where my coworkers were. It was the saddest thing. And literally it was like, I was being paid to just be a body. And at the time I thought that's kind of what I wanted because I didn't really love the job, but I realized (laughs) I'm not valuing myself. And then the money is not making me feel good because it wasn't enough anyway. And, and it just felt like I was kind of stealing from people, even though I wasn't. And then I was supporting this company. So I would say based on what you've said about your workplace, It's not so bad, but you're growing beyond that where you are now at the next kind of turning point of how can I get closer to my vision of, mm -hmm. right? I don't know.
1: Yeah, no, I agree. I love the company I work for. I don't think the company and its values is out of alignment with who I am fundamentally. I'm not at a company that's like a gas company or something like that. Where my problem is, is I am struggling with With, yeah, getting closer to my vision and aligning with these other goals. But Uh,
0: I can see this process of trying to get a promotion and then having to go through that. That's pretty frustrating. That's just some of the creepy stuff of corporate
1: life. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It's exhausting. I do not like it. I... I've been so anxious, and I'm putting on an event too. I'm put I I have an event that I'm organizing that will be next week for Global Accessibility Awareness Day, oh, and wow. I am the moderator, and I'm leading a panel about the underrepresentation of people with disabilities in leadership positions in tech. So oh, yeah. I'm excited, and they're letting me do it, and it's a public event. So I'm like, it'll probably come out after this episode, but um, yeah. Oh, that's so exciting! Well,
0: can we just say they for... let me? Yeah. the podcast like what your disability is oh yeah i have
1: m- multiple disabilities so i have i have dyslexia i have a uh, sensory integration disorder which or sensory processing it's basically okay i i get overloaded very very easy by the every sense vision smell i could smell something and throw up it, just because i get over yeah it's really gross but i get over very easy because of that i also have a slight mobility issue on my right side from getting in an, an accident and then i have erlos Dano syndrome which is a thing that just makes my entire body hurt all the time and then i have chronic migraines and chronic pain so oh my God. i mean yeah so the fact that i operate sometimes I'm, i i think that all of my disabilities have made it so that i just power through which is not necessarily a replicable Behavior that,
0: (laughs) yeah, I I will say you are exceptional in your ability to work and your organization. Having worked with you on your podcast, your spreadsheets are a dream scenario. That I like think I'm going to use them like that, and then I cannot keep up with your strategies that you use to organize. But I think they're really cool.
1: (laughs) I just need to stay very organized because I get overwhelmed so easy because the processing thing. So I. I actually, my brother just recently, because I was back in Denver, and my brother is like, you get overwhelmed very easy. It was just sort of a statement. It wasn't accusatory. It was really actually great. And I said, yeah, it's because I have a disability. And he's like, that's the first time I've ever heard you say that. And I was like, whoa, okay, cool. That's cool. I have not even communicated my needs externally, um, even to my family. I don't, yeah, it's because I became the co lead of our abilities ERG at my company, and I didn't talk about my disability because I uh, I had talked about it at a previous job and they tried to fire me. And so I stayed very closed off Whoa. and I didn't want to, to acknowledge that I had a disability. I was like, I'll just hide. I'll just hide in plain sight. Nobody will know I have a disability. I won't even ask for accommodations. And then uh, something happened at my company and I became the co-lead of the Abilities ERG. And since then, I'm just like, this is me. I'm here and I've become also with the work that people in the Black Lives Matter movement have been doing about saying this is work you need to do. And there's just been a lot of languaging that's really helped me come into my identity of being a person that has disabilities, which is... um, it's been actually life changing. I'm able to talk about things a little bit better and have more comprehension and be less in the closet about my disability. So yeah. It's yeah, it's been interesting. I, I feel like I just took us on this long, long No, but I think it's so interesting because and-
0: <laughs> that's the thing about money is it touches everything and the energy that you're mm-hmm. talking about, maybe even blocking yourself because you have all this shame around. I mean, I'm not a money. Yeah energy guru but I would that that would even block you (laughs) from the promotion or from achieving your next dream of living off the land like a hobbit
1: yeah I would love that that would be perfect yeah I think that that's true yeah I think that 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 I'm like especially now I'm doing this panel for people who are in leadership positions that have disabilities and I'm just just like moving forward seems so hard especially Mm. a person who identifies as me everything seems it's pushing against and not working in relationship or really inclusively with making people show up the best that they can at their jobs it's push it's the same issue that i had with education i went to seven schools before eighth grade because they just kept trying to push me into this box and i i always struggle with this thing where people try to push me into boxes and then i get really resistant
0: (laughs) Yeah, And then
1: I screw myself. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and it's
0: also kind of back to the the subconscious bias. Like Mm -hmm. if you don't know what it's like, you have no frame of reference how hard it must be. I mean, I don't have dyslexia or anything, so I have no idea what that's like, but I also would never question someone's experience of it, but I'm sure there are people who are just way less empathetic who just think do what you got to do and I'm not here to help you. Mm -hmm. It's kind of bootstrap mentality.
1: I hate that bootstrap mentality. I I think the reason that I help so many people is because nobody, I don't feel like a lot of people don't show Mm -hmm. up and help me. And so Mm -hmm. I want to be the change I want to see in the world. I want to show up. I want to help people. I want I want everyone to be successful to yeah. the best capacity. I want to be able to support people. I want people to live their best lives. So I, I I it's interesting I just coming to this, but it's like I want to be an energy unblocker. I told you about oh, my yeah. artist residency where I want to be the space in between the logs. So a fire needs just as much space in between the logs as it needs the logs to be healthy, and I want to be the space inside of the between the logs. So, I guess in essence, I just, yeah, I just <laughs> you are I just the want space to, between my logs. <laughs> uh, I honestly just want to help people be the best that they can be in the way that they want to be. I don't right. want to be prescriptive. I don't want to force people down any kind of bureaucratic path. I just want to be there, if I can help them move their energy forward even with work that that you and i are doing i had a, a bunch of stuff that i'm like maybe some of this will help maybe it won't it doesn't take and choose what what works for you but yeah. i am a on the enneagram i'm a helper i'm a oh so that makes so it's, a lot of sense yeah 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 i i tend to want to help people but then i don't i don't help myself which i feel like i feel like we just got we just got onto two and there's six should we just keep on Should we go back to the Yeah, let's keep plugging it away. (laughs) Oh, you're fine. I mean,
0: I'm cool with it because it's like I can edit it as needed. But yeah, let's keep going. So do I have my priorities straight? And if so, does the way I spend money support those priorities? So for me, I would say probably the way I spend money is not the most conscious. I'm not the Mm -hmm. best at boycotting things, mostly because I just don't know what I should be boycotting. But once I know, I try not to buy. I stopped buying goya beans.
1: Oh yeah, oh yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I stopped buying. I tried to stop buying things, and then I realized that I was addicted to Amazon, and I, I feel know. so dirty. Amazon, I feel oh so dirty. Uh. It makes me feel so dirty. But I have significantly cut back, and then I also started spending. Do I my priority straight? Yeah. So I, all my clothes now I buy from this women's owned. Or <laughs> I'm wearing one oh. of them. Um, it's a women's no works. It's a woman. Oh yeah, I know that run organization. And then they partner with artists to make the prints. And then they yes. have all the same template structures for the clothes, but they use it different prints. So I have been trying to only buy my clothes from sustainable places, women owned yes. places, black owned companies, I'm trying to take the money that I so easily just fed into Amazon for the first six months, and I'm trying to diversify it and buy locally, but it, it it's it is difficult and they did that on purpose. Amazon's yeah. core values is to give Make you the you, biggest like, variety. Need them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, they have they have three customer benefits because I've sort of studied them because I'm curious mm. about things. So their customer benefits yeah. are the lowest possible prices, so it's diversity of products, speed of shipping and low prices. And so
0: wow, yeah. That's how they get you.
1: I just want to go and live in the woods and help people be one with nature.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Oh, my God. Okay. Let's keep going. Mm -hmm. Do I know how my money is invested? Do those investments support my core values? She's shaking her head now. Yeah. Mm -mm. I actually don't have... This one I struggle with. Anything. Oh, I have some money through Acorns. My 401k is currently not invested because... Mm -hmm. Of this exact reason, I've been trying to figure out a good green fund Mm -hmm. to put it in. And I did find one, but it seemed a little volatile, so I'm waiting to see. But I think this is kind of the next step once I get more settled again.
1: You definitely want to keep it investing because the best thing that I have found is that the earlier you can invest in your retirement, the more it compounds over time. And so the fact that your money is not working for you, I know. Yeah. It's not great, but it's also life is short and, um, (laughs) we, you gotta do what you gotta do. So it's stressful for you right now. You'll, you'll figure out the time, but I, I have,
0: no, I, I know you're right. It's definitely my 401ks in Susie Arman's shit book. Of things to do to mess up your financial health, yeah. But that's okay.
1: But but I'll you it out. but you you have this. So so I have two four hundred one ks. One that was invested by a financial advisor, and that's all my four hundred one ks previous to this company. And then all my stuff, my four hundred one ks invested through my company. That's actually it's an opt out, which is amazing. That's why I love this company. Is like oh. so think fast slow. It's the name of a book, and I can't think of who wrote it because my mind is... Anyways, they're... they're, Wait, what's it
0: called? Think Fast, Slow? Yeah,
1: I think it's Daniel Kahneman and Amos Traversky. That's who wrote it. So Think Fast, Slow. They talk about this opt-in thing, which is like, uh, to help people be more beneficial, things should be opt-in, not opt-out. So in Europe, it's opt-out for organ donation. And in America, it's opt-in. And we have organ donation problems in the US, but in Europe, they do not have such things. They also found that with 401ks, if the employer automatically opts you into the 401k and then increases by, I believe, 1% every year, it benefits the employee significantly rather than having them opt in. And so same with health insurance, it should be opt out, not opt in. And so this isn't quite what we were talking about. I think we might've missed 4
0: do I know the difference between my wants and needs, and if so, do I take care of my needs first and wants second, or the other way around? <laughs> you
1: do not. I don't. You I said. mean, I. I just. What's the difference between my wants and my needs? It's those are really hard things to tether apart. Like, I think that's very judgmental of them to
0: ask. Yeah. Um, I, as like, someone who did not need to go to Iceland, mm-hmm. I am here, and I feel like that my path is actually trusting this kind of ridiculous life path that is taking me all over the world and has taken me to, you know, jobs I didn't expect. I didn't need to do that. Although in some part of my soul, I didn't need to do it. And yeah. I do think I'm on my life journey or whatever, but I think, to label something a want or a need, you already have to have such a clear vision of the external outcome. I mean, unless you're talking about buying a dress from Bathsheba, which I tried to do, but <laughs> then they didn't have the right size. So I had to return it versus buying groceries. But <laughs> I guess that's probably what I would say. Mm-hmm. I did know the difference as I was purchasing that dress. And I was like, oh, I really don't need this. And I felt guilty. And then it was like, it came and it didn't fit. So
1: perfect. It was let the that universe. Be a lesson.
0: Exactly. It was helping me out. And then I tried to order a different size and they had had two different dresses that were different sizes and they disappeared. And they were like, we don't know where the dresses are. And I was like, well, I really only want this dress. And so
1: unfortunately I'm not going to buy any other one. So they can mm-hmm. me a refund. And I was like, thank
0: you. And yeah.
1: I like the way anyway. that you talk to the universe. It's really, it's, it's been Good for me too. One thing, I don't know, we were on this call the this one time and something happened and it was really slow and you had told me that sometimes it's the universe telling you maybe slow down. And so I've actually been paying more attention to that since you made that statement to me. And sometimes instead of when my internet goes really slow, I have been at a place where I'm just sort of like, okay, so maybe I just need to slow down. I lost my memory card. I went and took some photographs for my friend for her engagement when I was in Denver and then I was in this huge rush. Cause I went and stayed in an Airbnb for a week cause I just needed some space and I lost the card and I was flipping out and I'm like, okay, the universe is telling me to slow down and I slowed down. And then the card was in my bag when I got oh, to the oh Airbnb, but I just was like, I'm going to throw this to the universe. If it's in my bag, it's in my bag. If it's not in my bag. uh but yeah. So I, I really, the, uh, the, so I, I struggle with my needs, like I was saying earlier. I really struggle to prioritize my own needs and over the needs of other people. And I've been trying... It's something I've been consciously trying to work on, but it's just, again, back to those habits. My needs were never considered in my upbringing. So it, it it's not... I try not to be judgmental, but I just very much am aware that I struggle with identifying what my needs are and how to best. Mm. And I definitely don't use my money to support my needs even though right now I am I'm trying to find an artist studio to support my needs for more space but it'll be one of the first (laughs) one of the first times where I'm using my money to support like my needs besides food needing to eat food and drink water and have a house over my head well
0: that's where it's needs first well okay food and shelter and water and Mm -hmm. clothing and and then after that everything is a want so I guess I don't know it's hard if you're Reading the Huffington Post, you're probably meeting most of your basic needs. And so then to talk about kind of insinuating that you're splurging on your wants. And I just imagine them to do. I know the difference between my wants and needs. And then they're just you, spendy, credit card Mm -hmm. debt monster.
1: But yeah, wait, I
0: had a thought, but it's gone now. And I will think of it as we continue.
1: I think we're at six, which is, am I giving enough time and money to the causes I care to support. Perfect. So are you? I'll start with
0: putting it on you.
1: I feel like it could be giving more money, but I I do. I I, I donate around dollars a year to causes. Oh, hell yeah, you do. I donate a, I, I I mean in relationship to the income I have, it's it's not I don't feel it's enough, but I Do you Do you have a percentage you try to meet? I need to. That's what I need to start putting a little bit more. There's a lot around my money that I haven't been able to consciously put thinking into. It's been more automatic. I already have this behavior where Mm. I don't spend too much. I do have the behavior where I give a lot because my mother was the president of the MS Society and she's always been a... My mom has always been in nonprofits. She was a community organizer for a really long time for Vista. And I guess I just grew up with this mentality of my mom's friends always coming over and them all asking each other for money and to support different causes. So I grew up with those sort of... I, yeah, my, my grandma was also a community organizer. It's really interesting. My grandma was a community organizer. My mother was a community organizer. And then I had so much debt that I couldn't become a community organizer. But it was something that right. I was interested in doing. But it yeah. it's it's fascinating to think about how you can use debt to make people not rebel or or challenge the status quo. Oh, definitely. Yeah. And And that's a good point. Yeah. And so now what I'm trying to do, I, I, I saw this Ted talk about, is it better to make more money or not make money or something like that? I don't know. I can't quite remember it. I watched it a while ago, but he is basically, if you have the means to make money, you will do better for society to make as much money as you can and donate back to causes than you would be like going and working at a nonprofit and struggling to make money. So, I don't know, it's something that I've been that I think about. It's it's really weird, but yeah, I do try to support as many causes as I possibly can. I donate to the Bail Project a lot. I really like it's a really good organization where they pay to bail people out and then those people when they leave the system, the bail project gets the money back. So then they can bail more oh, and more people. So it's it's like this amazing it's an amazing organization. I also I remember donating to that yeah, yeah last year. Yeah. I love very cool. Yeah. And then I do, I just donated to the Prosperity Project, which is a organization that is trying to help black women get out of student debt. And uh I just try I try it's like if you I feel like if you're
0: interested in the reparations Yes. kind of model that would be a good kind of alternative avenue since who knows if the government will ever get reparations going but that was yeah. a good place to do it yeah yeah I, I
1: i i get uh they have shown that people derive joy out of donating but they have also shown that you have to have some kind of personal relationship to you have to see the close mm. you have to give money and then you have to like feel like your money is doing something in order to get that mm. good, positive, tingly feeling of like... Okay, getting-
0: so I actually had a crazy dream <laughs> where I found a $100 bill. I was like... I forget where I was, like in New York somewhere. Mm-hmm. And I found a $100 bill. And then I met up with some friends at this political rally. And they were talking about some calls and we were all there till March. Mm-hmm. And then... And then I was thinking about being like, oh yeah, I have money in my pocket. And then I was waiting to see more about the organization that we were all there to support. And I don't remember it was a yeah. non-organization, but I was like, I want to learn more. And I think it's for that reason, because I was like, I really want to feel good about giving that money. I did a couple fundraisers in the past year where I donated a bunch of money and like I think one of them was, I felt really good about all of it, but Mm -hmm. I also felt like I'm not totally sure
1: where the money
0: went, Yeah, you know? And so I think partly because I donated to organizations in Minnesota and so not being there, you don't get to see the community impact, but yeah, I I do think in terms of my own personal joy, which is maybe not the only reason to donate. (laughs) Is that I would love to yeah, feel more connected. One of the things that I do is I work for Tech for Campaigns, mm-hmm. which is a really cool organization that supports small state races and usually midterms. And they're usually women, people of color, definitely all democratic yeah. in a lot of times swing areas. Mm-hmm. And so I've been working in Virginia and Pennsylvania And then you basically help the candidates with their email marketing or their digital ads or their website. And so I feel like that's a really satisfying way to give back because you are working with the candidate and then they like your work or hopefully you get to the point where they like your work and you're still kind of donating in the form of time, time, which not everyone has. But for me, since I don't really have a lot of money, I feel like That is more rewarding than just giving people money, although money is important too.
1: No, I agree. I think time is. I think time is more precious than money. I really think time is the most precious thing. Mostly because I have none. (laughs) I have no time, but I do. I think that's also the reason why I like do the artist websites. Is it actually feels really good because it's a social norm when you're bartering versus a market norm, which for some reason, market norms always feel really dirty to me. And I've always had a weird, re- again, going back to the beginning, I've always had a really weird relationship to money, uh, which I'm still trying to. But it
0: seems like, it's interesting you say that because I I think that I would point out that you say that a lot and yeah. that's a little bit of a self-creating you know, belief system. Yeah. Which I would also counter with the facts that you have created a life of abundance through no debt and your camper van. And oh, yeah. I don't know. I, I would ask you to question that statement a little bit more, maybe not on air, but.
1: <laughs> oh, I'm happy to question it on air. Yeah. I, I love to, I love questioning things and I'm super open. So
0: yeah. yeah. Where do you think that idea versus the evidence that like, you're actually really good with money? So I think
1: that I'm, from? yeah, I, so I think I'm good with money, but I think I have the, the statement is like, I have a weird relationship to money because money means nothing to me. Literally means nothing to me. And then I have evidence that pops up and it's like, yes, it does. It means a lot to you. And so mm-hmm. I think I have this internal conflict where my family, a society as a whole, sees money as a representation of success, uh, where I don't feel that. So I think my relation, my weird relationship is in this weird divide between reality, things people tell me
0: battery at 14%. I'm so oh, sorry. I do it's not slowly worry going into oblivion. But, well, yeah, but, I think that's okay, that's interesting like yeah. in terms of as a marker of success and I think that's where yeah. it goes back to. It's just energy mm-hmm. that allows you to do things. But mm-hmm. if your only goal is to make money, then that That's that's like been... that's problematic because energy isn't just to amass. Your energy doesn't exist just to amass it. It, like, it has to go somewhere. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I agree. That's that's I think what it is, is that my goal, since I had all that debt was just to make more money. And I think that now I'm coming out of that I'm trying to reevaluate my relationship to money and then also reevaluate my relationship to what does success look like? What is what is money doing for me or not doing for me? And and I also I have this. This strangeness comes out of seeing money as sort of being dirty as well, which I'm just... Yeah, I was wondering if that was kind of what you meant too. Yeah, I'm I'm in this weird place where my goal has been to make more money so I can pay off the debt. But my inner intrinsic goal has been, I don't care about money. I really don't care about it. I don't care about it. And I was reading that article and they're like, you have to be grateful for your money. And I'm just like, why does it keep... It's very very confusing to me that I, I understand I'm a really incredibly hard worker at the detriment of my own needs at the detriment of being chronically burnt out and exhausted, you know, and maybe you resent the money
0: because you're doing you're now in a job that you're you at you maybe it's not your dream. And so maybe you're a little resentful of it or something. I don't know.
1: It's very possible. I, I am someone who has been working on feelings of resentment because I just tend to resent everything and feel like it's, oh a- <laughs> I know it's a so wild. Wait, what? <laughs> yeah. No. If somebody asks for too much, I just get super resentful or Cause you're already giving a hundred percent so you're yeah. like, I literally have no more to give you and then I get yeah, resentful and so I get that. I, I've been working on lots of letting go and also all the negative feelings that I have or these feelings of resentment those are in my control and it's hurting me more than it's hurting another person and so mm-hmm. I've been actively working on oh you're feeling really tight and constricted right now and then being really curious and observing it and so mm. there's there's been I feel like there's so many things happening right now inside my mind and body, and I'm not tracking any of it.
0: Oh, it's fine. Well, so what you were just saying actually made me think a lot about boundaries. And Mm -hmm. it's like, I I personally really struggle with boundaries. And actually, I had a rune reading today Mm. because I'm in Iceland, dear listener. And (laughs) I'm at this residency in a small town where there's a prophecies. And it has these two Icelandic women from this town who created in honor of the prophet she's called a prophetess but it's basically a witch who founded the town in the ninth century what? so yeah cool. it's it just keeps getting more and more cool the, the more you learn about it and then she was in the sagas and she's very cool her name is Thordis and so this is a testament to her and the history of the town and then also you can get tarot readings palm readings rune readings which are these little wooden blocks that have staves on them and you kind of cast them in a circle yeah it's I super love this. Amazing. i
1: like, want to see this it sort of reminds me of the the in turkey they have the the coffee thing where you flip it over and then yes. you, yeah
0: and they have that as well actually they they have like because that's a practice the older generation mm-hmm. apparently did that here but so in the rune reading, she's like, you have the the gift to rune, which is about being really generous, but part of it is you want to be liked. And I'm like, oh yeah, nailed it. And she's <laughs> like, and so you may set, may need to set more boundaries. I mean, she didn't use the word boundaries, mm-hmm. but she's like, you need to set more boundaries and not care so much about pleasing people because you need to receive in mm-hmm. order for you to be able to give more if you give until you have nothing left you have nothing left to give and so you need to receive in order to replenish your giving supply which I was like actually that's the most pragmatic (laughs) way I've ever heard it described because if you think about withholding your giving or the bartering situation's good but if you no longer have any time because you're not charging people and you're getting art and then all of a sudden you're exhausted I don't know I'm I lost the train of thought. But <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. But you know what I mean. It's yeah. like you can't eat or pay your rent with free whatever, free trades. Yeah. And so it's kind of creating a system where you're still being generous, but provide for yourself first, yeah. so that you can then be more generous. That's the thing that I'm struggling with and trying to figure out, partly by our conversation. But
1: yeah, yeah. no, I think it makes sense there. I feel like as you were saying that, all of a sudden I got an image in my head and I'm like, just take this, just take this. And I'm just giving more and more and I'm like, here's my skin. That was really Really visual, but I know, I know. All of a sudden I was like, that was gross, but that, that's sort of the image that came into my head. But that
0: lack of boundaries. Yeah. Yeah, You're like, yeah, just take everything that holds me together. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. My largest organ.
1: Yeah. Here you go. (laughs) I don't need my heart. (laughs) That's so cool. What a cool, I, I feel like. And this is going back to something that we haven't necessarily talked about, but I feel like in America, we have this lack of deep historical rooting that other countries have. And I I really struggle to understand is my disorientation of identity and all of these weird outward messages and never feeling like I know where home is. I've never felt at home anywhere. Is that just because of the system of America and the colonizers coming over and where you are right now, there's a deep root there. There's this person who was there in the ninth century. And sort of like when I go to Turkey, I feel that, that sense of deepness there, or even in parts of Europe, there's this, there's this level of deep roots from people who have lived on the land for a long period of time. And we have that Mm -hmm. here, but you and, I don't know your background, but my family was an immigrant and a refugee and, but we're not native. We're not native to this land. And, and so it's interesting. I don't know. There's, I I just wonder if a lot of this weird toxicity that I find inside my body and my brain is just because of the geolocation and time and space (laughs) that we're in. Yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah, it really could be. There was a quote by Maya Angelou about belonging. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I'm talking about? Look it up. You are only free when you realize you belong no place. You belong every place. No place at all. The price is high. The reward is great. Oh, interesting. Um, Yeah. Yeah, and she was a total rambler. I mean... (laughs) aside from the fact that being Black in America, you feel totally displaced. And But she, her life was like, I don't know if you know about her life, but she grew up in San Francisco. She moved out of her home where her mom was living with a creepy guy. And then she rambled around looking for jobs. And then she went to New York and then she went to Cairo and then Ghana and came back to the US. So I feel like She's been the outsider in a lot of different contexts, Mm -hmm. not to go into a history of her, which Mm -hmm. I'm ill-equipped to do, but it was interesting kind of thinking about this quote Mm -hmm. just in general, even as random white lady from the suburbs of the Midwest who is trying to find a a home base now after Mm -hmm. living in San Francisco and even for you, I don't know, and meeting a lot of people on the road at residencies and who are kind of bouncing around residencies in lieu of settling down somewhere. I think this is a thing that I'm running into a lot, and it's partly because I am going to residencies, but it's something that I'm definitely struggling with too, so I don't
1: know. It What's interesting is that, I don't know, I find in Buddhism this thing of non-attachment, and that's really where the freedom comes from, I think. I'm attached to the concept of finding home, or I'm attached to this concept of finding a location, and then when I get there, that will be... The answer, yeah, but it's
0: internal. Yeah, yeah. the Buddha. I was gonna say the Buddha's think home is inside. Once you find your center, you're,
1: yeah, and you're,
0: you will always feel home. Yeah, whether, whether or not you're in a place you like, or yeah, yeah,
1: and and I do think that a lot of our struggles, our unconscious struggles, come from this longing for things and this lack of non attachment to to things. And I I do feel. It's it's just really interesting. The whole thing is really interesting. Okay, so is there
0: anything you have coming up that you're really excited about with your podcast
1: or anything you want to promote? So I think when this episode comes out, I will have done my Global Accessibility Awareness Day oh, event. Cool.
0: Is there a way to access a webinar video or something?
1: Yeah, so it'll be on my LinkedIn. So if you want to LinkedIn me, my name is Nikki nolan it'll probably it, i possibly will link to it on my instagram or twitter or facebook i don't know it'll be on the socials and i'm sure s- share out the post event informational thing and then do you want to beep out the company name oh whoops yeah so <laughs> I, i'm sure i'm sure my company will share out um a post event
0: i might just beep it out
1: yeah you can totally beep so it out that'd be funny <laughs> And then I have, on my podcast, uh, it might come out before this, or it might come up after. I have Andrew Ross, who is... Oh, yeah, the reporter that you're excited about. I'm super excited. I'm interviewing him on Sunday. I'm real nervous because he seems legit. He did occupy Wall Street. He's he smart. He seems very smart and he seems like he has a lot of knowledge into debt and the causes of debt and the ways we can get out of this. He see I'm really excited. So his interview is going to be a significantly different format than the rest of my interviews cuz I'm going to ask him different questions cuz he doesn't have student debt. Uh but yeah, just listen to the podcast Matter of Life and Debt. You can get it wherever you listen to podcasts. It's been yes. really really exciting. I get more and more feedback every episode that comes out and it does seem to be helping people realize how messed up the system is and how much we need to change it.
0: Yeah. As someone who's listened to every episode as you're producing them, I've learned so much and it's horrifying. Every episode is, yeah, someone, some water on you and just saying, wake up. This is totally fucked from start to finish.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Perfect. (laughs) Awesome. Well, cool. Well, thanks so much, Nikki. And I will put all the links in the show
1: notes and it was delightful seeing your face. Oh, it's so delightful seeing your face and have a wonderful experience wherever the rub beats you. Thank you. With my <laughs> wants and needs. <laughs> we can only hope. Cool. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Bye.
0: Thank you so much for listening to that episode of the Side if you like what you heard, feel free to rate. Wait, what is it? It's rate, subscribe, follow, review. Maybe that's the word I was trying to find. Yeah, do all those things. Feel free to go on ninaarnett.co and buy some goodies. Send me an email if you like. All the details would be in the show notes. Tell me what you thought. Do you want to sponsor the podcast? Just thought I'd throw it out there. You got to manifest. Yeah, just uh, stay in touch and get ready for the next episode. I just dropped three on today, my birthday, November 11th. So I'm pretty excited and I would love to hear what you think. All right.